Welcome to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. If some days you doubt yourself and you don't know what you're doing, if you've ugly cried alone in your bedroom because you felt like you're failing, well, I just want you to know you're not alone and you have come to the right place. Raising tweens and teens in today's world is not easy. And I'm on a mission to equip you to love well and to raise emotionally healthy, happy tweens and teens that thrive. I believe that moms are heroes and we have the power to transform our family and to impact future generations. If you are looking for answers, encouragement, and to become more of the mom and the woman that you want to be, welcome. I'm Cheryl Gould, and I am so glad that you're here. Hi, friend. Welcome to the show today. I'm so glad that you're listening in. And one of the hardest things I have found about parenting is discerning when to step in and actually help your kids, and when do you step back? This is especially tough during the tween and teen years when our kids are going through huge changes socially, emotionally, academically, and physically. And we are in a huge transitional phase when our kids hit the tween and teen years as well. And it's really hard to step back when you're watching your kid make choices that you don't like. It is so not easy. And we want our kids to be successful. Of course we do. And we love them and we care. But when are we actually caring so much that they don't have to care as much? Well, if you're relating to this dilemma, you are going to find this episode super helpful. My special guest today is speaker, educational consultant, and best-selling author, Cindy Muchnick. She has co-authored the book, The Parent Compass, Navigating Your Teen's Wellness and Academic Journey in Today's Competitive World. And as a mom of four herself, Cindy is on a mission to educate parents on how to support and empower their kids to develop resilience and a sense of purpose without putting too much pressure on them. A few of the things we talk about in this episode is what kids wish parents would quit doing and allow them to do themselves, the effects on our teens when we overparent, and what to do instead when we are afraid our kids won't be successful, and what to do to motivate our kids and build a stronger bond with them, and so much more. So let's dive in. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. I'm so looking forward to our talk today. We've already, behind the scenes, we've had so much fun chatting, so I'm really excited uh, for what you're going to share. Me too. The title of your show is a perfect match for the title of, of our book. <laughs> I, I Exactly. And I was telling you before reading your book, I was like, oh my gosh, this hits all the pain points and what I find as a mom myself 
and supporting so many moms and parents that we, everything that you're talking in your book, it does hit the common pain points. So, yeah, I love that word. Nobody's called them that before, at least the way I've heard them. So I think that's actually, I mean, pain points, we could also just call them, you know, uh, toolbox learning, <laughs> learning moments or whatever you, you know, you could kind of look at it from both lenses, but you're right. We really tried in one place to kind of bring it all together, um, in an, you know, easy, relatable, you know, read it over the weekend kind of book that you could then start to sort of apply, some of the strategies and and ideas that we share in the book right away and start to change your parenting and your life and and your relationship with your kids. Yeah. Well, I just love it. The Parent Compass, Navigating Your Teen's Wellness and Academic Journey in Today's Competitive World. And I want you to share, let's start by you just sharing a little bit about your background. Sure. So um, my career many years ago actually began, well, I'll go really far back. When I was in college, I was a tour guide. I would walk backwards and um, take groups of families around the campus. And little did I know that, you know, that would sort of turn into a career of guiding not just parents, but also um, eventually working in college admissions. So my first kind of job out of college was um, in the Midwest, actually, working um, in two different admissions offices and learning what it looks like on the other side of the experience that, you know, had created all this angst for families for, I don't know how many years, a couple hundred years since since universities were founded, but but it's only gotten more intense, I guess, and more competitive and and I would say a bit worse and and more uncertain. So um, in in kind of peeling back the curtain and having that experience, I um, it launched me into as I was raising my own small children, um, doing a business in private college counseling. So I did that for almost twenty years, um, just out of my home, working with teens in Southern California, and really falling in love with just the middle school and teen experience. I realized I I could relate and connect with these kids in a way that felt very authentic and that felt like I was their cheerleader and their advocate and, and a sounding board. And without really a background in counseling, um, as the years progressed, like, you know, in, in, sorry, in psychological counseling, yeah. I mean, yeah. um, because I, I had, you know, in college counseling, but you don't realize how much these kids really open up to you and share with you, not just in their writing, but in their time in your office. And so fast forward to, um, so anyway, I also raised four kids of my own. So I have a 16, 18, 22 and 24 year old. So I'm at the very end of the teenage years of raising kids. So I was kind of going through that concurrently. And what I realized in early 2019 was when the college admission scandal broke for operation varsity blues, it was like a gut punch to me and to my co-author, Jen Curtis, who wrote The Parent Compass with me. And the two of us were just appalled at what was going across the headlines and how ridiculous things had really gotten. And we said, we have to take action. We have to be intentional about doing something to help combat how crazy you know, this world has gotten. Now, that's a very, very extreme version. But what we started realizing was we were seeing signs, some signs, um, of not like illegal and illicit, uh, you know, plans for teens, but we did see parents who were really um, creating, I would say like kind of toxic relationships and toxic environments for their kids to grow up in. And that would come out in our meetings with them in our offices. So we said, okay, what can we teach 
art population and hopefully spread this parent compass message, which we like to call now a parent compass movement um, of moving into a direction of really paying attention to our teens, mental health very closely, and also our relationship with them and how important that is. So the book really has those two goals and the way we did it was to interview um, parents, college counselors, deans of admission, heads of school, uh, teachers, and, and even teens. And we used a lot of stories from our own offices, a lot of case studies of you know students who seem to be parented in a parent compass way, and then students who might have been parented in a way that um, you know really inhibited their kids' ability to self-advocate, to grow, to be happy, to, you know, have a good relationship with them, et cetera. So I answered that question in a long-winded way, but the bottom line on all of it is the parent compass was really written just to kind of remedy, um, you know, some of the problems that are going on out there that come from a place of love and, and support, but, but often are expressed in, um, you know, helicoptering kinds of ways. So no to the helicopter is kind of what the book is saying. Yeah. No to the (laughs) helicopter, a little, a little writing which is so hard to do. And that's why I say pain point, because I think this is one of the biggest challenges, because like you said, we mean well, we love our kids, we want them to succeed. And yet you surveyed for the book over 200,000 students. And have I got that right? Um, we, we, well, challenge success who has a lot of the data, some of the data that we use in the book did survey. We surveyed kind of all of the students we'd worked with through the years that Jen and I kind of had in our community. And then we reached out to other college counselors to share their stories. So I don't know if I have an actual number of how many students were, you know, uh, who sto- stories that were shared and, and who we researched, but what we did was we went to the experts like, Lisa Demore, Challenge Success, um, you know, and uh, you know, Carol Dweck, um, head, heads of school, to really share with us their data, so that everything we we're talking about really is supported by the data. The Pew Research Institute, um, you know, all sorts of you know important um, you know data gathering sources out there, so that it wasn't just me and Jen preaching this way. It was saying, you know, here's what the data is telling us, kids need to have family meals. And here's why kids need to have parents who really allow them to self-advocate. And here's why the data shows that, you know, so that's kind of sprinkled in without being boring. (laughs) Yeah. 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 What did you find that the kids were saying? The kids that you worked with, the ones you surveyed, what overall is the message if parents could hear it right now, the kids want their parents to know? Yeah. That, I mean, that's such a good question because honestly, some of the kids were saying nothing and couldn't even speak for themselves because the parents were consuming the oxygen of the conversation and were speaking for their kids. And a lot of times in that, in an initial meeting, a lot of times you meet the parents, but then after that, you're working one-on-one with the kids. And that's where the dynamic can often be seen also in emails back and forth. Sometimes the kids weren't even writing their own emails. It was their parents writing their emails. So there's this sense of parents that what we hear from the kids is, you know, my parents are trying to fix. My parents are trying to kind of control my life. My parents are trying to tell me what I need to say and how I need to do it. And by, you know, there's, there's a real fine line there because obviously we want to raise kids with nice manners and who can, you know, yes, speak for themselves and who can, you know, uh, you know, chart their own course. But when we have sort of a mixed agenda and maybe agenda is the wrong word, when we have our pride gets in the way, excuse me, um, 
parents often just are like, well, I'm wiser. I know more. I'm just going to kind of handle all this. And we sort of say to parents, you know, back off, like you had your turn, you were a teenager. It's your kid's turn to be a teenager. And how do you do that separation? How do you kind of let them have the space to make the mistakes and to fail and to speak their own voice and to kind of grow up. So I think what the kids were just saying is that we're feeling smothered, we're feeling pressured, we're feeling too controlled. And that is a really valid, you know, response. And what we did in the parent conference was we created this questionnaire actually a questionnaire for parents and a questionnaire for teens. Oh my gosh. It's so good. I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, the questions that you ask that for us to ask ourselves, you even know how we were raised. Right. Right. It helps. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Which I do with my moms whenever, cause that really, that impacts us more than we want to admit or acknowledge. But then you ask the kids, and, right, and to China. Like, yeah. And what don't you like that? I, that this isn't exactly how it went, but it's like, what don't you like that your parents do? do like, do you wish that yeah. they stopped doing? And right. yeah, it was so, so at our, yeah. So I, a lot of this is interesting at my, my daughter's, um, uh, high school, they do a lot of mental health counseling. And it was interesting because they did a workshop where they asked all the teens, um, actually in middle school and in high school to write on a post-it something you want your parents to know or something you want, um, you wish your parents would do differently or something you want them to know about how you're doing in school. And um, they took all these post-its and they presented them, they kind of distilled them and they, they, they stuck them on the walls at back to school night and they presented them to parents. And when I'm telling you, it was like holding up a mirror. A lot of them were really painful to read. And so that idea was so fascinating to me and to Jen that we thought, well, let's give the teens a chance to share their voice in the book. And there's really only one page where we, we asked them to do that. And it's a great exercise that parents um, you know, do their own reflect self-reflection. And then they ask their team, can you just take five minutes, you know, pull the plug on the social media and, you know, grab a brownie and help me be a better parent by answering these questions. And when the kids hear you say, help me be a better parent, their ears perk up and they think, oh, that's interesting. The tables are kind of turned. You're admitting you're not perfect and the boss and whatever it is. And so, when kids share this information, the parents really can let it process. And, and we, you know, say to parents, just take it, you know, take it in and listen and, and try to understand where they're coming from. Put yourself back in their shoes, if that's even possible, because their shoes are so different than what our shoes were like a generation ago. I mean, it's so much more complicated and stress-filled to be a team nowadays. And as you know, from your work, it's, you know, not just because of the social media, it's because of the college pressure and the expectations that society has, and then throw COVID in to the whole situation. And it just creates a whole, you know, whirlwind of, of not great, you know, not a great mixture. So the parent compass is here to untangle that. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Even you write about the things like even how, when I think about how things are different, my mom could not see my grades. Now, maybe she, and and I was not a good student. I had a lot of learning differences. They didn't know that much about it, but I would have been in real trouble if she would have been able to see them. And it was such a focus on so much negative. And yeah, I don't have the login. I don't even know how to see them. I get them old school. Like when the report card gets emailed, that's when I see things. And those are our two conversations, like the one semester report card, like, you know, becomes a, 
Hey, you know, how's it going? Why don't you run me through your classes? And do you think this is reflective of how you're doing? And do you have any goals you want to set for next semester? Do you feel good about, you know, was this a B that you're like super relieved to have or that uh, you probably could have done some things a little differently and you learned from your mistakes or, um, you know, because I always say, or we say in the book too, like a B for one student is a celebration and a B for another student might feel like a failure, which is crazy, right? I mean, it's a B yeah. you could go down, you know, to C and say a C for one student also could feel like, okay, I'm passing the class. This is really hard. You know, I feel good about this. I'm really challenging myself or, you know, a parent or more student could be like, oh, a C is a total bummer. It's like, you know, I, I don't know how that happened or I need to make some changes or figure things out or I'm in the wrong level or whatever it might be. So, um, so I think that that hyper-focus of checking your kid's portal all the time, I mean, that's their job to know when the assignments are done, to turn mm-hmm. them in on time. If they have a zero and it hasn't been factored in, I mean, parents like freak out. These are tiny little moments in a high school or middle school career of a little five point quiz or a 10 point quiz or a homework assignment, whatever it might be. That is up to your kid to manage. That is their job as they are a student and go to school. So if we just lop on more pressure to that, it's, it's looking at the wrong, it's quantifying them as numbers and as, um, you know, what they can earn as opposed to, you know, just recognizing the journey you put in good effort. You know, I know this is really hard. So I just think that the begin, the mid, the mid-year and the end of the year are great times to have the conversations, you know, the face-to-face with your kids and just let them walk you through their report card. They can explain it better, right? They're the ones that are in the class. And sometimes it's a teacher relationship that's challenging. And sometimes it's the subject or, or there's not enough time on the tests. There just isn't, there's a time issue that your kids have. And then you can address those concerns with them or help them, you know, learn the steps to go forward to the study skills center or to their teacher or whatever it might be. And by the time they're in high school, goodness, you know, you shouldn't be involved in those conversations with teachers anymore at all. Really starting in middle school, you start to kind of break away from, you know, from that, obviously get involved if there's something scary, you know, but the day to day, it's not, it's not the parent's job. Yeah. I, um, I love that because you talk in the book so much about when we're, I, I like calling it the helicopter parent is like the over when we're over functioning, when we're caring more than they care. And then they don't have to care because we're caring, we're caring too much. And did you find that, that the more the parents were pushing, 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 the kids are resisting? Cause I see that a lot. They're resisting, they're avoiding. It's like back off, but we're not listening. You know, that I think, I think you're right. I think the repetition of that pattern um, does cause a lot of things like what Jen and I would see in our offices as a result of that pattern was yeah, either the kids weren't listening, but more, but more sadly, the kids were like breaking down and having mental health issues because of it. It was making them worse. It was adding an unnecessary pressure onto a life that already feels like it's got a good amount of pressure. And there's just better ways we can focus on our relationships with our kids than hounding them about, did you turn this in? Did you turn that in? What were the grades, you know, focusing on, you know, the journey more than the destination. And we, we have a chapter that's called that because, we get so consumed in this day-to-day, um, the tidbits of it all. And that's really not, you know, as we know, as adults, you know, there's lots of fits and starts and twists and turns and ups and downs. And it's, you know, that's, that's, that's where all the learning is happening, right? That's where the growth is happening. So whatever it kind of is leading to, 
it, it will get there at some point. But if we make that the focus that, you know, this is, you know, it's all about getting in here. It's all about looking good for this college. It's all about, you know, manufacturing a teenager into some kind of, I don't know, reflection that you feel is of you, you know, making your kid your trophy, all those things just aren't, are unhealthy. <laughs> and the data tells us that. Yeah. I think we have blind spots or, you know, it's easy to have blind spots around that, but that's very eye-opening. I think for moms, when you think of it, like we are seeing our kids as an extension of ourselves. Right. And like you said, you have a whole chapter on that. Um, Is that what you are talk about that a little bit? Because I do think that feeds it and what you share in the book about how we tend to measure ourselves based on our kids' success. Yeah. So that can be so, you know, there's the bumper sticker and the sweatshirts and the obvious ways that, you know, we celebrate our kids' accomplishments, right? Um, But but I love the t-shirt that just says the word college across the front. It just says college. Um, there's another one that can just say, you know, trade school <laughs> or <laughs> beauty school or whatever, you know, army, whatever route, you know, these kids can kind of take. But yes, I think we've become this culture that um, focuses so much on, you know, the, the braggy part of our kids. And we see it, you know, we see it starting with the parents on social media, the parents more than the kids, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, how many recitals do I want to watch of my friends, kids doing their thing or how many soccer kicks or how many, you know, whatever. And let me just rewind by saying, you know, we talked about this offline, but I started my life parenting kids on Facebook and I did post, you know, my group was pretty small. It was just immediate family and and close friends who I trusted, not just kind of out public. Right. But, but, you know, I probably posted things a generation ago that, you know, I was just trying to chronicle a little bit of my kids growing up in an easy way for my parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles and siblings, whatever, to see some of those moments. Right. But now we live in a world where things are curated and there is, you know, music involved and, and there's a lot of kind of, um, content that parents are sharing about their teens. That's probably pretty inappropriate or pretty, um, I don't know. Like I do take screenshots of things and send them to my husband and go like, Oh my God, I can't, I mean, I can't believe it's almost awful that it, it, that it looks to me like entertainment, you know, as opposed to real parenting. And I think that's obviously a reflection of the parent way more than the kid. I mean, I do feel, you know, it's important to like share the happy news, but you have to kind of temper that and remember who's the audience and what's your intention. And so I know you've written, you're writing a book about this, or you've written a book about it, but the idea of posting with intention, like, you know, who do you want to see that? And what do you want it to say? But, you know, the, not, not in a way of tension. So we write that in the book post with intention, not in tension. So it reads better when you, when you read it. But the point is when, when you're talking about how the parent can, um, you know, not view the kids as just an extension of them. That's really where we need to back off and just say, let's appreciate these kids for exactly who they are. And let's find out who they are. It's our job to find that out, right? Like, like you expose your kids in, you know, K through sixth grade or nursery schools to sixth grade to all sorts of experiences, sports, activities, um, courses, you know, things that excite them. And some of them are things that excite you. So you're excited that they might get involved or interested in something that you really like. But they start to share their voice by saying like, I don't like this anymore, or I want to try this, or I want to try that. And some kids just are tasters. They like to taste lots of things and others might find their, 
you know, their direct path early on. And then there's the periods of burnout when they don't want it anymore and they might go back to it later, whatever it might be. But we feel so invested in helping them navigate that and find these things that when they change their minds or when they decide they want to do something different, it's almost like the parent takes it personally. Like I've already driven you, I've already paid, I've already this, I've already that. And honestly, we just need to really see and appreciate and hear those kids that we have in front of us and help find out what makes them tick and what makes them excited. And what are the classes that excite them the most? What are the activities that excite them the most? Doesn't mean they're going to love every minute of them, but it does mean that it's our, it's our job and our responsibility to be sure that we're not projecting all of our like kind of vicarious, you know, living secondhand through them. Like I never got to do this. So I want you to do it. Uh, like that's, you know, you never got to do it. So try and do it as an adult, whatever it is, right? Like don't push your kid through that to have them kind of do it. Right. Um, kids are afraid to tell their parents that they want to quit their sport because they're afraid they're going to let their parents down or, I mean, and their parents want them to become some, you know, you know, a scholarship athlete, whatever it might be. So I know there's a lot invested, but again, it's not our journey. It's their journey. So I think that's something, if we can keep that reminding ourselves that it's their turn, it's their turn. Let's listen to them. Let's, let's hook into what excites them, what, you know, makes them tick and then make that our, the way that we help, we help them, you know, by getting them to those places or helping them research it or brainstorming about it or asking them about it, letting them talk to us about it and why it excites them. And then we build those connections and those bonds that, that are the key, that are the relationship that we want to have with them so that when they do leave, they want to come back and visit. Right. So anyway, I love that because the parent compass talks really about how to, how to have a really good relationship with them when you drill it all down and, and empower them to be who they are and that alone in all the ways you, you talk about in the book is going to actually help your kid to succeed. It's it's the opposite of when (laughs) you're doing that helicopter parenting, it makes them, I always say they're like cats and you know, it's going to make them run under and hide in the bed. And then you try to grab them and they're going to scratch and claw and then, you know, get away versus like, who, who's my kid? And yeah, it's that, on them. Yeah. It's interesting kind of phrasing it that way. Cause it feels counterintuitive, right? Like we feel by doing and fixing and being involved that we're showing our love. That's a way to show love, but there's a lot of other ways to show love that don't involve you micromanaging your kids. And I tell some stories in the book. Um, you'd ask me about one of them, um, about this star Wars camp. That was an example. Um, so uh, that was an example from my own family. And I, I don't always, I had to get my kids permission to write about it. But when my kids were in eighth grade and sixth grade, my two oldest, they said they wanted to make some money in the summer. And how can you do that when you're in eighth grade? And they'd already been delivering newspaper newsletters through the neighborhood. They walked 1600 homes and delivered them door to door and made like hourly that way. And they dragged in garbage cans when neighbors went out of town and, and got mail and walked dogs. And they kind of wanted something more substantive in the summer. So um, they decided to create a one week Star Wars summer camp. And um, we had to figure out what that looked like. They had to figure out what that looked like. Um, I had to just help with the fine, help them collect and and be a chaperone basically to these um, K through fifth graders that joined the Star Wars camp. And it lasted for, it actually lasted for five summers until my kids graduated. 
And um, even when they graduated, these parents with younger siblings were like, oh my God, like you can't move away and you can't graduate. Like my kids want to do the Star Wars camp. And what did that look like? So I always tell my students that I worked with, you know, you can kind of create a summer camp for anything, for any interest you have. And my kids happen to just be obsessed with Star Wars. This was in the years when only movies four five and six were out. And then one, two, and three might've been coming out. You know, it was like the early Star Wars and then it got bought by Disney and the whole thing. But the point is the camp that they did was darling. They, um, the kids would dress up as Star Wars characters. They would visit um, planets. We would, you know, they would write these little signs and, and put them on the trees in the neighborhood. And the kids would walk from planet to planet and they would talk about what happened on the planets and they would play um, different <laughs> games. Like um, they played, what time is it Darth Vader instead of what time is it Mr. Fox and red lightsaber, green lightsaber instead of red light, green light. And they brought Legos over and they showed little video clips and the kids were they were having a ball. I mean, it was, it was run by the kids and the kids were doing it. And I just had to kind of like make sure nobody got hurt and, you know, walk kids to the bathroom, right. At the park. And, um, this went on for five summers. It actually grew to an afternoon star Wars movie camp for kids who wanted to stay and watch each episode. And they would um, then analyze and pause and find all the Easter eggs and, and talk about it. And, um, my kids, not only did they, they make a small fortune in their young ages, but they learned so much about um, teamwork and partnership. They felt so empowered. They felt so proud of like what they accomplished. They even employed their younger siblings to help them set up the chairs and take down the chairs. And, and the last day they did a little Star Wars parade where everyone dressed up and they put on music and they walked around the neighborhood in their costumes. I mean, it was very, very cute and low key and, and fun. And it became this tradition that, I would say looking back on it really, you know, formed a big part of who they were and their own identities and feeling, you know, ownership of something, feeling responsible for something, taking care of little people, realizing how tiring that is. It made them appreciate, I think, what parents go through at the same time. And these parents who sent their kids to the camp, it was all very word of mouth, um, you know, and very old school. Like, I, I don't know. It's just, it, it felt very old fashioned. There was something not, you know, not um, canned about it. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, it just felt very wholesome and, and very fun. And I tell parents, you know, your kids have so much ability to do so many things. If their thing is basketball, they can do a basketball clinic. If their thing is cheerleading, they can do a little cheerleading camp. If they like arts and crafts, you know, parents are always looking for places to put their kids in the summers and your kids can help be in charge of younger kids. If that's something you want to sort of help, help take on in a, um, you know, advisory kind of manner. I mean, I really was pretty invisible. I, you know, they signed the kids in, they signed the kids out, but they created and each summer. It kind of grew and built on itself. And I don't know, it just was a, a big part of their childhood memories. And now I think as they see kids, when they've grown up, they're like, oh, I was one of your campers at the star Wars camp. And, and I didn't realize how formative that would kind of be in their lives. But I, I, I like to share the story because I want parents and, and mostly kids to also feel like they, they should have ownership over that time. They should enjoy the things they're doing. They should feel like they're working hard and they're bringing something else of their own into the world. And it can be any interest. So that's just one example, but, but I like to share it for kind of inspiration, but also it, it what it, it did so much for my kids in terms of them feeling, um, you know, self-assured and self-aware and, and self-actualized and, um, I just encourage parents to kind of help your kids do those things where they can explore and they don't have to run a camp. I mean, that's just an example. They can sign up for camps too. And, and all those things, but. 
Oh, that is so awesome that they did that. <laughs> and, and they went all, they went all in. They weren't just, you know, they, they went all the way with it. I mean, which is super cool. It was really and, fun. And on rainy days, we had to open up the garage and like come into the garage and lay out Legos. I mean, they had to improvise too. You know, they had to learn, learn some ways when things don't always, uh, don't always work out. We'd look at the weather in the morning and go, uh-oh, are we going to, are we going to hit some rain? So yeah, it was really yeah. fun. A lot of fun yeah. times. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about motivation. Cause I know moms are listening and they're thinking, oh, my kid would never do that. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to come out of the room. You know, I can't get them to want to do anything. Right. What would you say to what, cause you talk about it in the book, um, what words of wisdom would you have from sure. the work that you've so, done? Yeah. So first of all, not every, yeah, not every kid is, is motivated. Um, and whether it's academically or athletically or whatever, you know, it seems like, oh, some parents just say all my kids want to do, yeah, is be in the room and scroll on their phone. Um, so if they like to scroll on their phone, which I think most teens do, um, we should ask them what they're looking at. Like, what, what do you like? Show me the sites you like and show me what it is you're, you're reading. And, and, you know, not that's just social, but like my son scrolls his phone for sports scores and for the stock market and for whatever. I mean, I know what my kids are looking at because I asked them about it. Right. So, you know, I don't spy on them particularly, um, you know, when they were really little or not really little, but when they start, you know, we had some cell phone etiquette when they first got phones. But the point is um, for parents who feel like their kids aren't motivated, my real advice would be find out what does excite them. Something Mm -hmm. excites them. One class. I mean, if just one class at school, whether it's the teacher or whether it's the content has to be worth some time for waking up that day. So they have whatever, six or seven classes, you know, ask them what they're, you know, what the great ones are right now and what the frustrating ones are right now and, and focus on the ones that are really special. So it might be a teacher that excites them about content. Um, I have a daughter who never told me anything out of her mouth relating to science in her entire life. She'd never really liked it. She didn't really care for it. She's now a sophomore in high school. And the topic I hear the most about is science. We were in the car yesterday. There was some clouds. She goes, oh, those dark clouds are cumulus nimbus. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, wait, what? You know, <laughs> what are you talking about? Now, she's probably not going to go on and become a scientist, but she's so interested in science right now because she has this teacher that makes it interesting and fun and creative. And so bravo to teachers, by the way, let's just get that out there. Like, you know, they don't all have the energy to do it that way, but, but when you have one that really engages your kid, there's a great example. So science happens to be something that interests her now. So we're at, we're talking a lot about it. I'm asking her about the things she's learned and can she share them with me? She, they had to invent a, a planet. They did something with planets and I learned about that. So hooking in as a parent, to what does excite them, something will excite them about school. I mean, even if it's the lunchtime and what they ate that day, like talk about that and see if you can make it at home. Like you have to be a little creative sometimes. So look for the positive in what does excite them and then try to grow that, right? So if they if they do love English and they're reading a book in school, read the book with them. Um, I read Bear Town, Frederick Bachman, when um, one of my kids was in eighth grade, because that was the eighth grade read. And we talked a lot about it. It had some hard themes and hard content. And the school said, we're reading a book that has some tough stuff in it. You may want to also read it. So I did. And that created a connection and some neat conversation where I felt a little bit more engaged in their school. So pick any book they're reading in their English class and maybe read it with them. And it would give you something if they like English, <laughs> give you yeah, something else yeah. to talk about. 
that would connect you or let them teach you, right? Like if they're in the robotics club or they're in, um, you know, they're doing some project say like, Hey, do you want to practice your presentation for me? And don't give critique, just listen and say, wow, that's cool that you learned that, you know, where did you find that information or whatever it might be. And then they might say, Oh, well, do you have any feedback? And then if you, if you do, then you can gently offer the constructive criticism, but I'm not saying this is a way for you to more micromanage. I'm saying this is a way for you to connect and engage and, and, and prove to yourself that no, your kid does have interests. They exist and they might not be academic. So if they are outside of academics in their club, in their sports, in their activities, support those and, um, and then try to facilitate ways to kind of engage more. So if they do play on a sports team, then you can watch those teams together. You know, like if they're into soccer, you can watch a world cup game with them. If they're into football, you can ask them about their fantasy football team, if they are doing that or whatever it might be. But I would say that's kind of the, the best way I think to get the to find the spark, to find something that does excite and motivate them. And really, if you feel like it's only on their phone, then ask them like, what are the sites they're visiting and have them show you. I have parents who've told me they've learned to play video games because they felt like their kid was in front of the Xbox and they're like, well, show me how to play. Then just show me. And it became hilarious because obviously the parents usually never won. Maybe they did once in 20 times, but it became a way for them to connect and engage. So I think if you want to have a relationship with your kid, hook into what excites them or help find what excites them. And then, you know, ask them about it. Let them be the expert, teach you about it. And, um, you know, if they're not, if, if school is not their thing, which, you know, sometimes it has to do with learning challenges. Sometimes it has to do with, you know, anxiety or, or, um, issues going on at school, then, you know, do explore that also, if you need to with a school counselor or, you know, or having, you know, finding someone else that they can talk to. I mean, if things are are more serious and you just feel like they're really just down, it's not just motivation, there's other things going on. Um, then I would say, you know, you can also seek some professional, you should seek professional help when needed. And, um, I have found therapy to be amazing for all of my kids, for all of our family <laughs> in a lot of different ways at times when we've, you know, when we've needed, um, other, other tools, other, um, someone else that's neutral to kind of help reflect on something we're struggling with. Um, school counselors are great for that. Um, older, older mentors, parents who have older kids are great resources as well for, for parents and teens to find their own mentor of, you know, an older kid who's been through something, all that, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I don't know. I threw it a lot there. I don't know if that's yeah. what you're going for, but no, it's wonderful. Yeah. Third party voices, you know, somebody else to come in where it's not just us. Yeah. Yeah. Huge help. Yeah. Huge, huge help. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and also gratitude, um, teaching our kids to show gratitude for those other adults that are in their lives. Um, you know, just modeling that and, and saying, you know, I'm so glad pastor so-and-so, or I'm so glad, you know, coach so-and-so, or I'm so glad Mrs. Whoever has been able to be supportive to you, you know, let's, let's send them a holiday card or let's show our gratitude too, because those adults in our kids' lives are, are really key. And sometimes they're the people that our kids open up to more quickly than they might open up to us. Yeah. Yeah. So good. And another thing I'm struck by is how you ask versus tell let them lead, you know, find out what they're interested in, then follow them, you know, rather than trying to force them to do something, trying to, you know, make them because we can't make them. 
right? Right. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. And it's interesting. Yeah. My, my co-author Jen Curtis has a background in, um, in social work and she's, she's brought a lot of the content, um, of the book that relates to like kind of psychology and counseling and, and a lot of that forward in, in the writing. I and mean, we wrote the book together, but we, each of us sort of took the lead on different chapters and then, and, you know, and then edited and, and added to each other's work. But, um, but one thing that Jen, you know, taught me a lot about and as good as a talker as I am today on your show, I hope you think I'm a good talker. I, I've always, I had a t-shirt, I had a t-shirt, I had a t-shirt that said, um, I got an A plus in talking. So I don't know if that's, you know, <laughs> that's something to brag about, but, um, but Jen, um, uh, you know, and I created a chapter about asking good questions and being a good listener. Mm-hmm. And it sounds so basic, right? It sounds so basic, but it is usually, most, yeah. usually it's the, one of the hardest things to do because, um, asking our kids good questions, not just the, how was school today question. In fact, that's one of the worst questions we can ask. How did you do on this? Or how was school today? And just, just scratch that. And go to our question list. We we consulted even professional question askers in the book. And we picked our favorite 30 or 40 questions to ask teens to spark dialogue and to spark conversation. But then once you ask the questions, they're not for you to answer unless your kid says, well, how about you, mom or dad? <laughs> but yeah. they're for you to listen and to, to hear the answer and to reflect back and say, mm-hmm, uh-huh, tell me more. And to really, you know, use the questions as a way to also engage. And the same comes when they come share with you, when they come do, you know, when they dump, dump something, whether it's some frustration or, you know, highs, lows, rose thorns, whatever it is for you to not just do what might feel natural to jump in and offer the advice and offer the solution. And because, you know, you do know you're older, you're wiser, you've been through it, but let them figure out how to come out the other side of it with you being right next to them, your shoulder to shoulder. And, um, Lisa Demore, who we love, we love her work and in the writing that she does. Um, she's a psychologist and author says all the time, um, you know, it's important that when your kids are sharing with you, you ask them, you know, what do you want from me right now? Like, do you just want me to listen? Do you, would you like some advice? Would you just like a hug? Um, do you want to get up and go now, now that you've said that, you know, so we can even gauge what it is they're looking for. Cause oftentimes they just want to let it out. They just want to get it out and leave. They don't even yeah. want, yeah. they don't yeah. even want your feedback or anything. And, and when your kids go to college, which I know, you know, this Cheryl, um, when your kids go to college, they pick up the phone and I call these phone dumps. They like call you with a lot of content. And sometimes it's, um, really tough stuff, like a bad thing about a relationship or a bad grade, or they overslept or whatever it is. And you get some positive, but you get a lot of negative sometimes in these phone calls and you don't know how to process them. Like, Oh my God, do, do I need to go get on the plane or yeah, are they okay? Yeah. And whatever. Okay. And sometimes that's it. Just, just by releasing it, they're fine. Like they've moved on. They just needed to get it out, but we are left with that and wondering what we're supposed to do with it. And, um, there have been times I will say through the years, um, and I've had two of my kids go to boarding school. So it's happened when they've been even younger. So I think that I have a little bit of a, uh, a pass, a hall pass to occasionally call the resident fellow or the resident advisor on their hall and be like, can you just put eyes on them? Because I just got a really heavy phone call and I just want to be sure, you know, there were some tears and there was some anger and whatever. And usually the reply back is, oh, they're actually in the lounge, like playing, 
the piano right now and hanging out with friends. And I'm like, I'm okay. laughing and having a great yeah, time. Yeah. Like that, they're, they've moved on, they've moved on and you're like kind of left with it, but, yeah. um, but anyway, so yeah, those are some, those are some helpful things. Yeah. I love that. I, I say 80, 20, um, 80, 20 rule, listen, 80% of the time and talk 20. If you just do that. Right. Yeah. But I love, so I love, I yeah. love the 80, 20 rule. I apply the 80, 20 rule to pretty much everything in life. It's really funny. I probably should write an essay about 80-20 because I think if like 80% of the job you do, the place you live, the friendships you have, your marriage, a lot of big things that 80-20 rule can really apply because if 80% of it is good, that's pretty, pretty high. And there's always going to be 10% that's never going to be good enough. We're never going to feel totally, you know, hundred percent, forget it. Like we're never going to get there. I mean, it would be nice if we could, but maybe we get there when we're like 90. I don't know. I don't know if you ever get that, but, <laughs> but, um, 10% is always going to be kind of worked on. And then 10% is just going to be stuff you can't control. It's just going to be whatever allows you can't fix it. It's just there. It's just doesn't, you know, it's no, there's no perfection. So I love 80, 20 in a lot of, in a lot of ways. I also wrote this essay, which I'll share with you later, but about four for four and, and our, our parenting strategy is um, we all know as a parent, how hard it is when one of our kids is suffering or they're, you know, whether it's physically or mentally, or just something hard is happening in their life. And you just feel like that's your weak link. And as a parent, you want to go in and, and be there to support and, and, you know, and sometimes be there to advise too, because those tend to be the times when maybe a little bit of advising helps if they want that, or, or it seems like it would be helpful. But, um, when my husband and I, we kind of do a little judgment of, okay, are we one for four, two for four, three for four, or four for four and four for four, meaning like everyone's kind of good where they are right now. Like everyone's in balance. The world has that moment where we all take a breath and go, wow, like nobody has a major need right now. You know, we're all kind of living our worlds and living our best selves, whatever. But um, there is, have been times when we've been like one for four and when three kids are down, I mean, it is the worst feeling as a parent. It's just awful. And then when those three are like, you know, resuscitated at some point, how, sometimes it's just time and, and getting through getting that, you know, them getting out the other side and it hurts our hearts so much, but a lot of times there's, there isn't really anything we can do. It's just life experience and, and it's painful. Um, but then once those three are kind of back, then the one that didn't go down goes down. So, right. So oh, that's like whack-a-moles. I always call it whack-a-moles. whack-a-moles. <laughs> Same thing. It's like, yeah, I call it four for four, zero for four, whatever it is. But, you know, we all know we all only are as good as our, in some ways we're only as good as our oldest child, but I feel like we still get curveballs with every kid. Right. I mean, you, you, you're never fully prepared for all of this. It's such a 24 seven job. That's why there's books, movies, podcasts, a lot of content out there about it. And I really think as parents, I mean, we're, we are kind of doing our best, but I think we can do a little differently and being, you know, following your parent compass requires bravery. It requires you to kind of do it differently than everyone around you might feel like they're doing. And to just sort of see that and just kind of let it fall down, let it go, let it water off a duck's back and just go, okay, that's not how I want to be. That's not how I want my relationship to be. That's not how I want to do it. And we all know those parents that make us cringe at the sidelines or at the back to school night that just mm -hmm. ask the question about their kid. That's kind of inappropriate and embarrassing, or that are screaming on the sidelines or whatever it is. And you just think, Oh my God, I feel awful for that kid. 
Like, I hope I'm not that parent. And I think we've all been that parent at some point. We just have, and we're not proud of it. And so how do we, you know, how do we pull back and say, I'm not going to be that parent. And sometimes our spouses will remind us too, that you get that elbow or that squeeze, like, uh uh-oh, you said the one too many or whatever (laughs) it is. And then owning it, owning it, apologizing, saying, I am not proud of, of what I just did. I'm not proud of the parenting choice I just made. I need to do over. Um, we can say that to our kids all the time. In fact, they love it. They love when we admit we're wrong or we made a mistake and we show that we're human. And I've talked about this on podcasts sometimes, not very often, but I mean, my kids have seen me cry. Um, that could be a whole topic, but not, not often. I mean, I know parents who excuse themselves to go into the bathroom or get into their bedroom or whatever to kind of not show that, you know, real deep emotion in front of their kids. And I would be on the school of, you know, it's kind of okay for your kids to see you're human. I mean, I think that it does something in regard to kind of reverse empathy and a feeling of, you know, they feel like they want to protect you. They want to, you know, they see how low you might be feeling and that's okay because they've felt that way too. So anyway, those are some of my, (laughs) some of my pearls. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this is so good, Cindy. And I mean, I, I just highly recommend that everybody get your book, the parent, the parent compass to help them. And the questions are great and it really shifts your mindset, you know, to what we, our natural inclination is to do and, Mm. you know, what it means to really love our kids well and help them to be resilient and develop that grit and, um, you know, that well, that well-being. So tell them, tell them where to find you, where to get your book. And of course, I'll include all the links as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. So yeah, the Parent Compass can be found on our website, which is parentcompassbook.com. And we're on Instagram at Parent Compass and Facebook, The Parent Compass. Mm -hmm. We're even on LinkedIn under our names, Cindy Metchnick and Jen Curtis. And we're on Twitter in a little way at Parent Compass One. But um, you can reach out to us. I mean, we love to um, visit book clubs. If anyone's picking our book for a book club read, we like to pop in on Zoom and and or in live if you're local. Um, we're both in California, um, but we, you know, we are trying to spread the movement. We're trying to spread the message, um, and we so are so grateful for your show that that shares the content so generously with your listeners. And um, I'm so impressed with your grown kids and, and how you've, you know, navigated to and in, in following your parent compass and then helping teach parents lots of ways to, um, you know, kind of get through these, these challenging years, right? Because none of us, I mean, there's not really a full on instruction manual, right? I mean, we've read what to expect. Some people call our book, the, what to expect when you're expecting teens, which is also a big compliment, but we know that parenting is 24 seven and it's kind of, you know, reactive. And so at times we just react the way we react. And then we look back and go, Oh, I wish I, I wish I could have done that differently. And then we wake up and we do it differently the next time, or we try, try another tact and they don't always work with all kids. Right. So some things work with some, some things work with others. And, (laughs) and it is, um, you know, kind of trying to find the right recipe and the right blend for, uh, for each of our kids. And, they are, I mean, they are amazing, right? We all think our kids are amazing. We all think our kids are wonderful, you know, people that we've, you know, supported and, and helped grow and, and helped create and, um, and all of that. But, you know, we don't have to blast that across the whole planet. And we certainly don't have to, um, you know, make all these choices for them that aren't our choices to make. It's, it's their turn. Yeah. 
Thank you for that. Such wise words. Gosh, we'll <laughs> take those with us. And I'm so glad this is going to be in a blog post too, because. <laughs> wow, you're going to have a lot to write. I hope I didn't. <laughs> yeah, we transcribe it so everybody can, you know, just revisit this and buy the book. And yeah, thank you for all that you're doing. And we'll thank have you to have so you back much. to do a workshop. So. That would be great. I would really enjoy working with you. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Well, that's it for today, friend. And thank you so much for joining me. And I want to take a moment to just let you know how much I appreciate you and that you are taking time out to listen to this podcast. I don't take it lightly. I know how precious your time is. And I want to thank you for leaving reviews. It's so much fun to read what you wrote and it makes my day. And I also want to thank so many of you that are a part of our community and that support other moms that are in the trenches right alongside of you. That is what Moms of Tweens and Teens is all all about. We're all about knowing we're not alone, about support, about learning and growing together, and really knowing what it truly means to love our kids well. Because it is not easy in today's day and age to raise tweens and teens, and nobody taught us, right? Nobody taught us how to do it. And we need each other. We need support. And I am such a believer that when we get support, the Titanic starts turning around. Everything starts changing. And maybe you don't have a Titanic that feels like it's sinking, but just getting that support can make all the difference. So I encourage you to check out our website, momsoftweensandteens.com. If you're not already on the newsletter list, I encourage you to sign up. You'll find all kinds of resources there, free resources, courses, workshops, free workshops coming up. Um, we have the membership is opening in beginning of March, where we do this eight week parenting program. And we have live zoom mentor groups led by mom mentors, and so, so much more. So I hope you'll sign up, get on the list. And I promise you, you'll be so glad that you did. And you'll, you'll find links for community there and ways to connect. So reach out to me too. If you have any questions at Cheryl at moms of tweens and teens.com and I, or my team member, Trisha will get back to you. So have a great week and I will see you back here next time.